There are two players that I continue to watch. If the 53-man roster came out today, I would be shocked to see either of these guys not on that list. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, August 4th. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I'm joined as always by producer JT. JT, how are you? I'm good. I'm from a uh, very different location today and will be... He's remote in- today. I am remote today and will be remote for the for the rest of the week or so. Um in a different location after this next next time moving all across the country right now um did they put you in witness protection program what are we doing i I think so i think that's what's happening (laughs) is that Um, what it is i got you but i mean but i am excited because today is uh kellen mon versus zach wilson uh day super excited for that yes Um, it is sicko football day the worst football of the year is the first football of the year uh the hall of fame game tonight like you said, yes. Zach, Zach Wilson, Kellen Mond, a titanic showdown that should be delicious for all the thousands of us that are just de- we're just desperate, starving, um, sick individuals that will I mean, take I, any little morsel of football. Yeah, and, I, I don't I don't know about so. you, but I am so excited for the Dorian Thompson Robinson um, legacy second half tonight for the Browns. <laughs> right. I will personally be hammering the Browns plus one and a half line tonight because of that. It's fact, one thing totally. to watch this. It's another thing to bet on this. Hey, you're, just, you're going full bore. Preseason preseason for betters, too. It's not just the players, man. You got to get for warm, us too. You got to get you. warm. <laughs> <laughs> so totally will be doing that tonight. Totally just not a joke, but I'm um, excited to watch it. Unfortunately, apparently it's only on Peacock. So I guess I got to go out and get a free week, uh, free trial for Peacock tonight, I guess. So mm. we'll, mm. Uh, we'll figure that out. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works throughout the season. I'm sure there are plenty of folks that are not sh- quite sure what to do about that. And we'll begrudgingly end up getting it. Um, if you want to be a part of the conversation today and you're joining us live, which we're about 30 minutes past when we said we'd be live. I had some technical difficulties that were then for, we were further delayed after that because of a rather unfortunate timing for a Titans news dump. The, the breaking news. If you're with us live on the Thursday of recording today's episode, the Titans have released uh, offensive tackle Jamarco Jones going to get into all of that, what led to the release, what this means for the team going forward um, in just one moment. But if you are with us live, like D good and Kenneth, and Pretty Boy Lipschitz are in the comment section. Um, we would love for you, if you're not watching uh, via YouTube, go on over to the YouTube page at Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. You'll find this live stream and be able to, in the comments of that live stream, comment like D. Good and Kenneth and Pretty Boy Lipschitz and uh, be a part of the conversation, which we would love to. Hey, hey and we got Stony Keeley with the Sobros Network here as well. Stony, by the way, Stoney. looking forward to uh, Saturday night's uh, soiree. I will be there, JT, unfortunately, out of town, but I will be representing the show and uh, cannot wait to celebrate Sobro's 10th anniversary, I believe it is, which is fantastic and, and cannot wait for that. But we'll get to all of that in a minute. Um, first, I have the warm up to get into, and then we'll have some Titans news on the back end with producer JT, and we will get out of here because we are on a time crunch today, but plenty of good stuff to talk about. So let me not waste any more time and dive right in to today's warm up, JT. And it's the premise of which is based on a conversation that I was having at Titans training camp today with our buddy Sam Phelan over at A to Z Sports. And we were talking about 
who does DeAndre Hopkins arrival to this team impact the most? Now we've talked a lot about what it does for guys like Traylon Burks and how DeAndre Hopkins may very well be a force multiplier in his production and uh, efficacy this season for the Titans. But there are a couple of players that I think you could argue DeAndre Hopkins doesn't hurt by arriving, certainly may help them in uh, in the same way that he's helping uh, Traylon Burks, taking the, the attention away from them, maybe giving them some more easy opportunities and so on and so forth. But for who does his arrival impact the most negatively in terms of the stat sheet or you know what we're expecting from them in terms of the volume of their production this season. And there's a couple of players to keep in mind here, but we were kind of doing the math on this and I want to walk through it with you and with our listeners and see what we might come up with. Cause I think it's fair now that Deandre Hopkins is here and has solidified himself as a, not just a member of this team, but seemingly, I mean, he's not for a guy that doesn't like to practice. He sure has not missed a single practice since being here. I mean, I'm there every day and he's been there every day and he's been practicing though. And it's not the whole veteran like, well, yeah, I'm gonna come out to warm up and stretch and then head. No, no, no. He's there start to finish. Um, and so he certainly seems like a guy that is ready to go full time. And as long as he is healthy, be a massive, massive part of this offense. And so I wanted to reevaluate a little bit where these skill position players fall on the list of our expectations for the year. Cause JT, you and I spent a lot of the dog days of summer and a lot of the spring talking about the the breakout candidates, the roles we expected from guys like Chica Conquo, guys like Kyle Phillips, um, guys like NWI and Chris Moore and all these guys. So I want to talk about them. And let's just kind of start from the top here and do the math and kind of whittle our way down to how many yards we expect to be out there for these guys, right? So let's start with the supply, the supply of yards available to the skill position players in the passing game. That, of course, comes from the arm of Ryan Tannehill. Again, knock on wood, God uh, willing, he will be out there all season long for the Titans. We want all starting quarterbacks for all teams to be out there because backup quarterback football sucks to watch for everybody. So as long as Ryan Tannehill is out there this season, looking at his stats from the past to get an idea of what a fair and reasonable estimate is for what kind of passing yard volume he will have for this season, in the two years with the Tennessee Titans that he has played the entire year healthy. Of course, in 2019, he comes in um, about a third of the way into the season, takes over from Marcus Mariota. Last season, misses uh, a handful, I believe, five games and uh, is dealing with injuries and, and, and a number of games does not look himself because of that ankle. So we've got the 2020 and the 2021 seasons as sample sizes. And in those two years, need I remind you, the situation Certainly different in a number of different ways, but in terms of the receiving core, the weapons, when 2020, he had the solidified wide receiver one and two tandem of Corey Davis and AJ Brown. And then in 2021, despite them not being on the field the entire season, he had the the solidified number one and number two of AJ Brown and Julio Jones. And in those two years, he threw for roughly 3,700 and 3,800 yards combined. So let's use that as our barometer. Uh, in his career, Tannehill in 2015 and 14, um, those two seasons, he went back-to-back 4,000-yard passing seasons. Um, with the Dolphins, he was kind of all over the place. His his first two years in the league, he had 32 and then 3,900. In 2016 and, se- and eight, uh, 17, 17 hit, hit the year he missed due to that ACL injury, um, 16, just shy of 3,000 yards. So kind of all over the board. And I don't want to take that into consideration. Let's do with what what we've seen with him under Mike Vrabel and with the Titans, which is that 38, 
ish, 37 ish, hundred yard mark. I, I don't think first of all, just off the top, is it possible for him to have a 4,000 yard receiving se- or receiving yard season? Yes. He's done it twice before in his career. And depending on how this offense look, looks with Tim Kelly, if they truly are going to be more pass happy than the past couple of iterations, of the Titans, maybe he does just eclipse that mark. Um, but I think it's fair to say the, the, the conservative estimate is right there at 3,800. Um, before I go forward, JT, does that sound about right to you? Somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 yards if he is healthy for this season? It's probably the the most correct that you can be. I would argue that maybe this is, um, from a talent standpoint, just top to bottom, maybe the most talent that a Titans roster has seen in quite a while. So like you said, there there is possibility to go over 4,000 passing yards. Um, however, it, it probably just... Because what we know, I mean, we even heard Mike Vrabel today say we got to get our best players the ball. And Derrick right. Henry is a pretty darn good ball player. Um, so he was not shying away from still uh, trying to emphasize the run game, um, no. which makes me think that, yeah, from like 3,500 to maybe like 39, 4,000 passing yards is probably a good estimate for Tannehill. So let's say an average conservative number is 3,800. We've danced around it. Let's just land on that. So 3,800 yeah. yards to divide between a handful of skill position players. Let's start with the guys we're expecting to get the most volume, right? It's Traylon Burks. It's DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe, maybe this is too optimistic, JT. And of course, injuries and availability, they change the math quickly, right? If you if I were to be, you know, bring a time traveler from six months from now back in time to join the show as a guest and they tell us, that DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks both play 17 games this season. I think you and I would go take out mortgages on the D Hop Traylon Burks combined over 2,000 yards mark. Like I think that that is really safe. If you told me they played all 17 games, right? That I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has been on pace to be a 1,000 yard receiver or significantly better, practically for a decade. And Traylon Burks, while Last year, his totals, I think he was in this, uh, I don't know, th- four or 500 yard range on the season, played in uh, very few games um, in terms of, well, played in very few effective games, should I say. It was that back half of the season where they really cut him loose a little bit, turned him up a little bit, and he got going and got on a roll, and that was marred by a number of uh, stops for injury. So a very small sample size in terms of games for him. We're expecting around a thousand yard season for him, are we not? Um, I mean, yes, to, to your point, I think that thousand yards for both of them is pretty doable. Um, I and did if you tell see... me that's 1200 from DeAndre Hopkins and 800 from Burke. Like it's, you know, it's, I think it's gonna be 2000 split up however, which way. And, and I would, play. yeah, I would agree with that. I, I saw a tweet the other day from PFF, of course, it, a classic PFF who's stopping this, you know, kind of like that. And it was like, what what can DeAndre Hopkins do this year? And I, I just said, basically, screw it here. Here's what I'm projecting DeAndre okay. Hopkins. And I said in the, in the realm, because I was just, you know, looking for some engagement that day or whatever. So I, I said, but, but this is, I do stand by it that I, I think DeAndre Hopkins is probably in the realm of 70 to 75 receptions for around 850 yards and six mm. or seven touchdowns, I think is where I'm, I'm realistically landing right now. Um, Right. Right. And I think I agree. And again, that could that could come in the iteration of 1100 yards for Burks, 850 yards for Hopkins. Like 2000 is not a hard and fast number. If you told me they as a duo turned out with 1800 yards 
or if they turned out with 2,200 yards, you know, give or take 200 yards on that 2,000 number feels about right for me. So let's just round it off at 2,000. If, and this if is like, this, you know, the Spider-Man meme where he's holding the bus back, that this what if is doing in this circumstance. They both play all the games. Now, based on their track record, just last season, not full career, but for Brooks, it, it's just one season. We know that the two of these players are liable to miss a game or two, at least. Um, and I think it's reasonable to say, you know, maybe they both play 14 to 15 games this year. You know, somebody tweaks a hammy, somebody, you know, turns an ankle, whatever it may be. Um, there's a big game at the end of the year and in the penultimate game of the season doesn't matter. And so they hold them out, wh whatever it looks like. Um, I, I think that number maybe becomes 1600, 1500. It could change dramatically if, God forbid somebody misses significant time, but let's say that they're right at that 1800 to 2000 yard mark on paper. So that takes out a massive chunk of the 3,800 yards we have available. That leaves us with about 1800 to 2000 yards left over to divvy up between a number of players, not named Traylon Burks and Deandre Hopkins. I'm um, just checking the comments here before we plow forward. Um, Dr. Lipschitz said a birdie told him that they would likely be doing more like a 60% pass 40% run this year, which sounds in line with what we've been hearing. So I don't doubt that may be the case, at least their plan. We'll see if that changes as they go. Logan asking is JT. Okay. He is in an empty room and 300 feet from the camera blink twice. If you need help JT. Um, so we've got about, th so let's say 1800 to 2000 yards available to divide up between non D hop and Burks individuals on this team. We, we need to consider I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to leave two players for last. I want to leave Chig and Kyle Phillips for last, because those are the two players that previously we had been looking at as like, Oh, they may be breakout candidates this season before Deandre Hopkins arrived. They also have, you know, just one season of a track record. Whereas some of these other players have a, a more significant body of work for us to go based off of. So if we've got 2000 yards to work with Chris Moore just last season amassed and I'm pulling up his stats right now. Uh, he amassed just, just under 550 yards. Now that was his first season with more than 250 yards uh, the previous season in Houston. He had 227. And so maybe we say, you know, a conservative estimate, he takes up three to 400 of those yards. So now we're down to about 1600 yards left to give out. Um, Derrick Henry last season was his best receiving season and they continue to want to utilize him. And I mean, Tim Kelly, offensive coordinator for the Titans told us yesterday that Derrick Henry is essentially still the engine of this team. He's still the focal point of the offense. They're still going to operate through Derrick, whether that is running on the ground for the most part, but also they continue to utilize him in the passing game more and more each year. And in practice, I can tell you for certain they are looking to pass to him and use him in the screen game and as we've talked about for a long, long time, JT, the number one, like if you can do one thing with Derrick Henry, you're going to be in good shape as a ball club. If you can get Derrick Henry about five steps without being touched, you're going to be in pretty good shape that game. If you can consistently give him four to five steps without being touched, you're going to be in good shape. And so that's what they try to do in the screen game constantly. And it works to their favor. Whereas last season, he ended up with just two yards shy of 400 yards. Um, the previous season, he had 150. So let's say he has about 300 yards receiving this season. Okay, now we're down to about 1,300 yards to give out. Tajay Spears, we've been talking about it. 
I expect him to gobble up at least a hundred or two hundred of those receiving I was yards. Say a hundred, if not more. Like, yeah, let's let's say let's say one fifty. You know, a hundred. Okay, so now now we're down to about eleven hundred and fifty ish yards to give out. NWI last season, looking at his numbers, he's a guy that is for sure making this team. And in the past two years, yes, he's gotten some more play because there's been a number of injuries and he's been forced onto the field more than the Titans on paper would like to be. But he's also continuing to get better and the team is continuing to trust him more and he's continuing to become more and more of a veteran in that room. And so could he be in line for a similar sample size to the last two seasons? I think yes, maybe just a little bit depleted. But in the last two years, he's had 475 and 400 yards. So I would say two to 300 yards go to him. Let's call it 250. Okay, now we're down to about 900 yards left to hand out. And then you have to consider where Chig and Kyle Phillips fall into that equation. Previously, before DeAndre Hopkins arrived, we were talking about Chig like he could be in that 800 to 1,000 yard receiving territory and be, if he broke out, a top five tight end in the league. Again, that was when we were saying, hey guys, Chigakonkwo may very well be your wide receiver too in terms of volume on this team. That's obviously not going to be the case anymore. DeAndre Hopkins is around. They're changing the composition of this team. They're changing the game plan. Kyle Phillips is a guy that before DeAndre Hopkins came, and we've talked about how DeAndre is probably going to play a lot in the slot this year. He's going to probably take some snaps away, for, maybe significant snaps away from Kyle Phillips. That's going to deplete his, his workload a lot as well. If I said that there were 900 yards to divide between, between Chig and Kyle Phillips this season, JT, I know my answer, and I'm guessing it's the same as yours, but just so I don't put the words in your mouth, who would you expect to get the lion's share of that of that 900-yard pie? I'm going with Chig. Yeah, no, I am as well. I think that I think that it would be something like if you told me that they had 900 yards combined, you know, like Chig, 650. That's what uh, I would think too. Kyle, Kyle Phillips, 250, you know, 600, 300, something like that. I mean, um, if you look at last year, like Tyler Higby had 620 yards and that okay. was like, and like for reference, like even when Chigakonko wasn't being used last year, he still had 450 yards um, on the season, on the season. And he which, played, he really was an actual player in about half the games, like half exactly. The so right. I, I would expect him to be in that, like Dalton Schultz esque area of like 600 to 700 yards this season. Yeah. So all of that is to say, and the reason I, I wanted to make this warm up, I, I kind of think people need to pump the brakes on Kyle Phillips and Chigakonkwo this season, more so Kyle Phillips, not because of the talent. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, this is not me like, you know, mental gymnastics my way around being high on Kyle Phillips for the past year and a half and trying to find a way to get off of the train without saying that I was wrong. I, I, I don't think that I was wrong. I just think that the composition of this team changes. You know, like Kyle Phillips, I still think is that player and still thinks that dude. And I think there's a reality in which he is such a such a game breaker in certain circumstances that maybe NWI gets kind of knocked off the the uh, contributions chart. Maybe maybe Tajay Spears near, isn't nearly as effective in year one because they're wanting to use uh, Kyle Phillips in the dump off game more than they want to use Tajay Spears. You know, maybe Chris Moore as an as a more elderly wide receiver. First of all, maybe he doesn't stay on the field the whole season. And so a lot of those yards go somewhere else, or maybe he's not utilized nearly as much as we were once expecting. Again, Traylon Burks, DeAndre Hopkins, not impossible for one or both of them to miss significant time this year. And that is becomes a lot of yards available for the taking. Um, so all of that is to say, I think that it's, it's a more 
conservative year for those two players, but more so Kyle Phillips than we had been talking about beforehand. And so I kind of wanted to just put that math out there to kind of set our expectations. This is going to be a cool thing to maybe revisit at the very end of the year and be like, okay, how did the, how did the pieces of the pie really fall? And that's what we can do with this. All right, enough of my rambling on the warm-up today, JT. I know we're on a time crunch here, and we've got a couple of things, a little bit of a different show in terms of a training camp review today. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty that I've gotten into the past couple of days. Uh, I want to really just hit the highlights, and we, we don't have a ton to share with, with folks in terms of, like, I don't have any clips today. I decided to not uh, pull any clips. Um, we're not going. I'm not going to give you drive-by-drive analyses uh, of of the different quarterbacks or anything like that. I just want to touch on some some topics that are rattling or rattling around my brain. You know, we've got three or four weeks coming up for me to give plenty of those full full practice rundowns, and we did that on on Tuesday. So if you want one of those, go to Tuesday's episode, and that was a very good practice for that. Today's practice was a little bit different because we started in the pouring rain. Um, I showed up to practice in the rain, in the thundering rain, expecting fully for us to be in the bubble. And so I did not bring an umbrella. I did not bring a raincoat. I was wearing uh, this polo and not a hat. Uh, the reason I'm wearing a hat now is because my hair was drenched for most of the day, as was my clothing, because we uh, spent the first 30-ish minutes of practice, maybe a little bit less, out in the pouring rain, which it's obviously not cold in August in Nashville, so not not cold rain, but um, very wet. And Mike Vrabel comes bursting out of that door when we're talking to the position coaches at the beginning of the day with a, a Lowe's like Home Depot sized bucket with footballs in it filled with water, which is the universal uh, training camp signal for a wet ball drill. And it's like, oh God, okay, guess we're staying outside today. Cool. Didn't think we'd be doing that. Maybe fortunately for those of us in the media that were getting drenched and didn't have rain jackets, it did start to lightning at the Titans facility. So we had to go into the bubble for the majority of practice, but we got plenty of wet ball drills. And I want to point out one thing on the, the wet portion of practice today. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is known for his massive hands. JT, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's pretty well known at this point that dude's got some big old mitts on him. He was doing in the rain something that he, it looked like he'd done this a number of times before. And I don't know if it's a haha, my hands are way bigger than you fun thing or a, you know, this is a, a good drill for ball security, probably a combination of the two. But he was going player by player in the Titans wide receiver core um, with a football. And he was challenging guys to kind of a football tug of war with the wet ball in the rain. And with a number of Titans wide receivers, if you want to see a, a clip of this, a, a brief video of it, go to my Twitter account at Easton Freeze and you'll find it there. He was one handed tug of warring a football with like Kyle Phillips and Mason Kinsey holding the ball with two hands, trying to yank this wet football in the rain out of DeAndre Hopkins one hand and struggling to do so. And so it was a really, really funny uh, juxtaposition between those two things. And uh, yeah, just the dude's got some big old paws on him. His his wide receiver coach this morning was talking to us. Uh, we asked him what what's the one thing he didn't quite know about DeAndre Hopkins before DeAndre got to Nashville. And he was like, I knew the dude had big hands, but I didn't know they were that big. And so he and Traylon Burks are definitely members of the all hands team. A couple of other things from practice today. Um, I say a couple of other things. I'm bearing the lead here with the, the wet football drill hands. I forgot that we uh, had some breaking news right before the show, JT. The Titans have cut offensive tackle Jamarco Jones. And it's funny because we were going to start out the sights and sounds from training camp portion of today's show with a, uh, a, a subject I had titled Jamarco Jones trying to slap his way out of a job. Well, he slapped his way out of a job, JT, right, right as I was typing that. 
the Titans announced around 3 p.m. on Thursday that they had released Jamarco Jones. Here's the context of this if folks haven't been paying attention to training camp. Jamarco Jones had been taking first team snaps as the right tackle for the Titans once uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrier got suspended and they entered the August portion of training camp. They had very few um, decent options on the team, Jamarco Jones being one of those decent options. And so they were continuing to get him first team snaps at the right tackle position. And he, frankly, JT, we felt like had a golden opportunity, was perfectly positioned to win himself the starting right tackle job for the first month and a half of the season, at the very least. Like, I thought that he was probably the leader in the clubhouse to do that. We we agreed on that, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always said that there was a few dark horse candidates, but if you had right. to, like, if you had to pick someone that was probably in line for it, Jamarco Jones was that guy. And they continued to treat him that way this week when we were in padded practice. To start the practices, he was getting those first team reps. But then in the the most recent two practices, so today on Thursday and on Tuesday, he did things early on in practice that got him sent off the practice field early and have now ultimately resulted in him losing his job. On Tuesday, Jones was one of the two guys in the first fight of training camp. He got into a scuffle with defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, and the two of them were punished with banishment to the sand pit to work on their technique, which was the prescribed punishment for fighting in training camp. As Derek, or not Derek, um, as uh, Mike Vrabel has said, that falls squarely within the dumb shit that hurts the team category, which he likes to point out constantly in, in his uh, media availability. And so the two of them got really on the, I think the third or fourth play of practice on Tuesday, banished to the sand pit, and they didn't get to return for team. Uh, drills until much later on in practice. Then today at Thursday's practice, he started out again inside the bubble during 11s and on and sevens. Or not sevens. I mean, I don't know for sevens. That's the whole point. Uh, during 11s, and it wasn't as early on, but it was certainly in the first 20 minutes of practice. He gets himself sent off early for a uh, a some not late after the whistle, but late developing in the play, dirty. And what would have been a penalized backside hit on linebacker Chance Campbell on, I believe it was a Tajay Spears end around or screen run play. It was, it was a, it was a ball in Tajay Spears hands near the boundary and Jamarco Jones rather violent. I mean, cause you gotta have to, you gotta understand we are in pads, but it's not live tackling right now, right? It's a lot of mock tackling. It's, you know, you, you drop a shoulder on a guy and you pop pads, but nobody's going to the ground there. I've not seen somebody, fully take somebody to the ground wrapped up in a, a proper form tackle. And so that's not really the realm that we're in. It's kind of we're in the middle zone of live drills. And so when a guy lays a block like that on somebody that lays them out, it catches your attention. And everybody's it's a moment of like, whoa. And sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's like, well, okay, throw a little, more, a little energy in there. I like it. Pop pads a little bit harder next time. Let's see it. You know, maybe the other guy that got thrown needs to put a little more effort in. That was not the case here. It was a blind side uh, block that that resulted in the laying out of Chance Campbell and Arden Key, one of the, or excuse me, Aziz Al Shair, I believe it was either Aziz or, or Arden, one of the two, um, were on the field and they were rather displeased with this uh, activity and and they let Jamarco Jones and the offense know that they were rather displeased that Jones was not taking care of his teammates, which which you got to take care of your teammates, man. Like that's the whole point. We don't we don't do that. We talked to Mike Vrabel about that block, about that hit 
after practice, um, between the end of practice and Jamarco Jones ultimately being waived, he said that that's something that definitely falls into that dumb shit category, or he didn't say that exactly, but that's what he was alluding to. Um, he, he said that it was absolutely something that would have been penalized in a game. We don't want to practice that way. You got to take better care of your teammates, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was very critical of that decision. And then uh, after he was critical of that decision in the press conference, less than two hours later, Jamarco Jones is unemployed. He is out of a job and blows a golden opportunity to win that right tackle spot to start the season. So where does this leave the Titans? Um, it, it, cutting Jones, waving Jones, it saves the Titans about $2 million, a little bit over $2 million in cap savings. And in terms of who's going to play that right tackle position now, the list was thin. It's a lot thinner now because the guy that we thought was the best bet is gone. Uh, Chris Hubbard, the journeyman gadget tackle, swing tackle that they brought in instead of George Fant recently, who has not played the position in a number of years. He was the guy the past two days at practice when Jamarco Jones got himself in trouble with dumb anger management issues that would then assume all of those first team snaps. And so he's gotten a lot of them and he's about to get a lot more, I'd imagine, considering the circumstances. But he is a guy that is on the older side. He's a guy that is on the uh, side of uh, inexperience, at least recently, has not played a lot of that position. And so there's certainly concern there. It's a pretty dire situation. Even more dire, the the, po the prospect, the possibility of Andrew Rupchich, who if you're saying, who is that? That's a fair point to make. Who is that indeed? A guy that has not really done anything in his NFL career. And then rookies, Jalen Duncan, sixth rounder, who we have determined both as a prospect and with my own two eyeballs at camp, this guy is not close to ready. He is a guy with a lot of potential. And we said that coming out and we thought it was a, a nice pick as a developmental prospect, but developmental is the key word. And this guy cannot go on uh, the field this season to play at a starting tackle position. There's just no way he, his play strength is poor. His technique is poor. He needs a lot of polish before he may end up becoming uh, a, a finished product in the NFL in the future. John Ajoku, Boise state, uh, tackle that was an undrafted free agent in this year's draft is uh, he was our pick early on as kind of the dark horse. I know our buddy Stoney Keeley, who's listening in, is a big John Ojoku fan, and so are we. But I don't know if it's a great, I don't know if it's a great thing that he is going to be like, not that he's going to be, but the idea of him being your starting right tackle, JT, that sounds like kind of a nightmare situation for a prospect that we like, just not in this circumstance. I mean, for sure. I think right now you have to look at it and you, you're currently kind of in a position where it seems like the veteran presence is going to win out, um, especially for these first um, six games. I think definitely even with Jalen Duncan kind of not being ready for the field, whatever, even if Ajuku is like looking the part. I think you still go with a veteran guy over just someone who is very raw and unexperienced. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a difficult choice, and it makes you wonder, well, okay, maybe the Titans go out and get somebody. The top of the market was kind of George Fant and Chris Hubbard, my friend. Yeah. Like, that's... And and, 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 I, and I did tweet out when I saw this. I, I really don't think they make this move if they aren't comp confident in Chris Hubbard or Andrew Rupchich or no. maybe one of these other guys. Like, I really, I I really find it hard to because you are in you obviously are trying to compete this year and even if it is 
a, a, a character issue and something that you do not. I, I feel like it, at, at some, at some point it just outweighs kind of the necessity of someone like Jamarco Jones to play. It kind of outweighs his character issue that he's having and mm. it it just feels like to me that you don't do that unless you are confident that one of these guys can do just as good of a job as Jamarco Jones. Well, 100% I get your logic and I understand where you're coming from. But I was talking to Tyler Rowland on Twitter uh, over at um, Locked on Titans about this pretty much 20 minutes before the, the news came out that he was losing the, the his job. And um, he, he was quote tweeting the video of Mike Vrabel talking about the hit and talking about Jamarco Jones. And he, he essentially said to paraphrase, you know, this guy looks like he's fed up with, with Jamarco Jones. And he said that me, Tyler is, is also ups, upset with and fed up with Jamarco Jones, like get him out of here. And I replied, I understand that. And I get that. It seems like he's fed up with them, but they also continue to give the guy first team reps at the beginning of practices. So like, I don't know, man, uh, you know, and yet they continue to do that. And, and then that news comes out. And so 20 minutes later, he's, he quote tweets that tweet of mine and says, and yet, and I'm like, you know what? Yes. Yeah. This is, this is where, this is where the bottom line meets desperation because his point was like, they continue to give him first team reps because of the desperation of the situation. And I agreed, but at one, at some point desperation has to run into the brick wall. That is the bottom line. And this is that wall, I think. And so I, I do you know, I do wonder because again, after Tuesday and him losing all those first team reps and the behavioral issue, it would have made perfect sense for today him to be back out there, but with the second or third team guys, you know, like, yep, you sorry, you have to re-earn that first team rep. And they put him back out there immediately with the first team reps. And so that's a situation where I don't, I think they were between a rock and a hard place and they may have decided, you know what? It may not be in the best interest talent-wise of this team for him to, to not be here. But if in the first week of padded practice, before actual tackling, before you're facing opponents that actually dislike you, because you're playing your own team. Like, these defenders aren't talking a bunch of nonsense to you, and it's not personal, and they don't actually hate you. Like, they're just playing around, you know? If he can't control his temper in consecutive days in this situation, how can we expect him to not maybe be the best talent available at tackle in in September, but how can we expect him not to get three massive backbreaking penalties because he can't control himself on the field? And I think that's what that ultimately came down to. Um, let's move on to two more topics from today's training camp that I want to touch on and then some Titans news from JT and then we'll get out of here. The first of which is um, the well, let's start with this, the field turf. I want to mention briefly, uh, we talked about this in the spring when the news came out, the Titans would be going at Nissan Stadium from uh, regular field grass, regular field grass, regular grass on the field to field turf, uh, artificial uh, surface that they'd be installing this offseason. It was my understanding that they installed it in the spring, although JT, I don't you you actually been there. It's working some of the games or working some of the practices, gosh, working some of the uh, uh What's the word concerts? Thank you for the, the summer. They're not all out there on the grass, right? So do you, does the grass come up in sections? You think it's uh, most likely. I mean, uh, okay. there, there really, there really is no grass right there. Now. I think it is. I saw like, a picture from somebody that worked. Like I saw a, a private picture sent to me, somebody that works on the field crew of the news turf in like March. So I know it exists. Uh, I just don't think it's been out. I think they probably pulled it up. They're going to put it back down, um, but it's there. 
and it is a monofilament uh, matrix helix turf, if I'm recalling correctly, with organic infill, a combination of cork and coconut, um, which if you want to go see that up close, I have pictures of that on my Twitter account or my X account rather at Easton Freeze if you want to see that up close because it's the same surface they have installed in the Titans bubble where we were for the majority of today's practice. And it is, I just want to, I want to mention if people had, had forgotten about that, like a reminder, they'll be on turf this year, but also after having some time today, and it was not my first time in there, but my first time for a long practice in there, after having some time to stand around on it for an extended period of time, move around on it. I like a goober ran around a little bit on it just to kind of like feel what it felt like. And I'm not wearing cleats, obviously. Um, and then I talked to uh, my buddies, um, Austin Stanley and, um, uh, who else was I talking to? Uh, Austin Stanley and somebody else we were talking about the, the, the way that it feels. And we all kind of agreed like this kind of just sucks. Like it, it's, it, it's makes your knees kind of hurt after a while. Um, it just is a, is a weird, it's a weird surface. And, and I, I said, you know, I've always been a staunch believer that not all natural grass is good grass, but all fake grass is bad grass. And so I kind of think that is the <laughs> Stoney says that he loves the visual of Easton out there running routes to provide more thorough journalism to us. That's what I'm here for Stoney. I'm trying to, um, give you the, uh, the real insight that you're looking for and embarrass myself in front of professional athletes in the process. But yeah, it, I remain highly skeptical. The players aren't going to hate this. I'll believe it when I see it, JT. Um, I know you and I will both probably have an opportunity to get out there at some point this at the beginning of the season. We'll be at Nissan stadium and, and see how things go. Um, I'm not saying it'll be ACL city everywhere, but I'm not saying that they're not going to secretly hate it. I'm not saying it may not lead to um, some injuries that are make, make you wonder a little bit, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it definitely will be interesting because if once once one ACL happens, you know, it's just like the immediate reaction, either one way or the other. It's going to be yes. very, very immediate. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Um, last topic before some odds and ends. I want to talk about two offensive players that are making me think, JT, and I'm, I want your help on this because I want us to kind of just talk this math out again like we did in the warm up today. There are two players that I continue to watch at practice that are making me think a lot about the 53 man roster and the skill positions that will make this roster. JT, I was in the car a lot yesterday traveling and and while I was doing as a passenger and uh, I was on my phone, just kind of fiddling around with, if I was making a 53 man roster projection, which I plan to do at some point in the next week or so, what would it look like right now based on what I've seen? And these two guys were stumping me. It's wide receiver, Reggie Roberson, Jr. And tight end Alize Mack. Um, that if the 53 man roster came out today, which it does not, then come out for another month or so. But if it came out today, I would be shocked to see either of these guys not on that list based on what we've seen from them in practice. Now, that might come as a shock to many because they are certainly not amongst the locks to make the roster. And they are arguably not amongst the guys that were really pressing to make this roster even a week ago. We were talking a lot about how maybe they keep just five wide receivers. Maybe they got Traylon Burks and DeAndre Hopkins and Kyle Phillips and WI and Chris Moore. We agree. All five of those guys, they're making this team, right? There's just, just, just no two ways about it. 
And so the debate was maybe there's a sixth receiver, and if so, it's like seven guys fighting for one position. I think if there's a sixth receiver right now, it's him. And we'd been talking about Colton Dowell for a lot of the spring and summer as a guy that was probably going to get that spot just because of the draft capital and his circumstances, his situation. Man, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a tough decision for them if they do go with the sixth guy between Reggie Roberson and um, Colton Dowell. I mean, just pulling up my notes from camp from the past two days, Reggie Roberson. I think he has four touchdowns and two practices. And they've been really impressive. He is a speed guy. I think he's going, not going to, I think that unless he blows up down the stretch here at camp, I think he has successfully killed racing McMath's chances of making this roster because Roberson is not as fast as, as McMath, but it certainly is that speed prototype. He also is a much better tackler than McMath is. And for that reason, as well as a couple of other different technical details of his game, he makes for a better special teamer. Than Racy McMath does. Roberson, you can actually put on special teams. McMath is kind of not really a special teams guy. And so I, I kind of think that he's going to be that guy. And it makes it interesting. Do you put, you know, they may have to put Colton Dowell on the practice squad and just hope they can continue to develop him. Roberson also, I was listening to Paul Kaharski's podcast here on the 440 network um, the other day. And he was talking about how people kind of forget this. Roberson at I think he was SMU, not if I'm not mistaken. Um, wherever he was at in college, he tore his ACL in 2020 and missed the season. Now, last season, he was a full season removed from that ACL. So he'd played an entire, he'd, he'd already played the year back, right? He was on the year after the year back. But as we know with ACL injuries, JT, depending on the severity, depending on the complications, and depending a lot on the timing during that season, how quickly a player comes back really, really can vary dramatically. I'm not saying last season the reason why he wasn't this impressive in training camp is because of that, but I am saying it may have been because this is a different looking guy in camp. And maybe it's just that it's a second year and he's developed and he's really worked on his game and yada, yada, yada. But whatever the case may be, he looks like a guy that's pressing to make the roster. And then Alizé Mack, we liked him a lot as just a, a, a flyer that the Titans took out of the XFL, a guy that, in the spring, played a full season of professional football um, and is just chugging right along into training camp. So if he makes the roster, he's going to have played like a calendar year of, of contact football, which sounds like a horrible decision for your body, a horrible thing to do to yourself. But uh, props for being able to do that. I would be dead after one game. He's going to go like 32 in a row if he makes the team. And uh, he's somebody that continues to make significant progress. And pretty much every single day at camp he is grabbing our attention with some phenomenal play in the seven on seven or excuse me i think it was the 11s regardless during team drills today marching down the field will levis looked like crap during one series and he was working with some guys that were not giving him any help but he was not making good throws at all overthrowing guys during the ball uh being indecisive and uh it was fourth down incomplete mike Vrabel throws a very convenient face mag face mask on the defense penalty which was essentially a, a phantom face mask because i want to extend this drive because i want to see my rookie quarterback try again and so on the next play the of the the new gifted series he just threads the needle through like i think three different defenders hands to alizé mack uh at the boundary manages to rotate contort his body to catch this ball and then keep his feet in bounds and it was one of those whoa plays down the field from a receiving tight end a big bodied athletic guy where you go whoa and we were talking to his 
tight end position coach Tony Dews this morning um, about Alizé Mack and like what he brings to the the potential roster. And I asked Tony, you know, we know what he can do as a receiver. That's what he did in the XFL to garner the attention of NFL teams and make an NFL roster again. And he's a guy that's bounced around the NFL in the past and then went to the XFL and is now back in the NFL ranks. What is it about him as a blocker that you think could make him an asset to the team? And he was very complimentary of the fact that, hey, this is a guy that is big and athletic. And as we know, what is maybe the biggest and most athletic position on the field? It's edge rushers. And so that's what tight ends need to be able to hang with. And this is a guy now, Zay Mack, that he thinks his his physical skill set may allow for him to do just that. And so he may have a role as a blocker on this team. So for those two players, JT, let's widen the scope and talk about the grand scheme of these rosters. I'm going to pull up the uh, the list that I had made the other day, just, just preliminary of the 53-man rosters. Knowing the Titans' track record, their history with how they construct their skill position list, it's oftentimes 5-5-5, five, 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 running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Sometimes it's, you know, you get a sixth receiver. Sometimes it's a seventh. You know, sometimes you only keep four running backs or four tight ends, but that's basically what they like to do on paper, not knowing the group. Here are the guys that are locks, right? In the wide receiver core, we know we know the top five, right? Okay, we got those guys down. Tight ends, Chica Conquo, obviously. Trayvon Wesco as the, the glorified lineman. We think that he's making the roster. Josh Wiley, the rookie, he's probably making the roster. Like It'd be kind of surprising if he didn't. Um, and then it comes down to two guys as that fourth and fifth tight end. Alizé Mack, who's much more receiver. And then Kevin Rader, who has been doing some more receiving in practice this season but is absolutely in that Trayvon Wesco mold of he's a big body blocker. Uh, Mike, Mike uh, Herndon liked to talk about him on tape a lot last year when he got in there as a guy that's like underrated, you know, maybe he does what Jeff Swaim does better than Jeff Swaim. Like that's kind of the deal with him. Then at the running back position, you've got Derek Henry and Ty J Spears, obviously. And then three guys and Jonathan Ward, Hassan Haskins, who's legally embattled and Julius Chestnut. If we include all the guys I just mentioned, that's six receivers, five running backs, and five tight ends. And maybe that's what happens. But I kind of think one of those guys has to hit the cutting room floor. And the guys on that bubble are Jonathan Ward, Julius Chestnut, um, Hassan Haskins at the receiving position. And then it is Reggie Roberson at the wide receiver position. And the tight end position, it's Alizé Mack and Kevin Rader. So let's go one position at a time, JT, and just give our preliminary guesses. At the running back position, do you think they keep four or five guys? And in either case, who do you think makes the list? And if it's four, who gets cut? I mean, for the running back position, I think it is four. Just like most logically what with what happens here. Is um, Haskins one of those four? I, I think I don't think so. I think Haskins I don't either. Is, I think Haskins is the one. And not because he's not a bad player. I think that with, with Jamarco Jones, it's just like this is a team that very much does not want anything on the outside. And if this, it, obviously they're going to let due process play out in the legal system, but if it comes back in any, in all light of, of an issue, I think he's gone. Um, which, which then leaves Jonathan Ward and Julius Chestnut as the, um, as the last four there. Now, if it is, if it does come back and Hassan Haskins is, um, cleared. kind of cleared, right. Um, I think there's a decent chance that maybe they choose between um, 
Jonathan Ward and Julius Chestnut, in which mm. I, I think Julius Chestnut is probably on the chopping block there and is on the cutting room floor. I think um, the same thing, JT, but based on the way they use these guys, like I, we as media and fans, like Ward looks, it feels obvious that Ward is the better player right now. But the team seems to like Chestnut more. I don't know why. They kind of do the same thing. They seem to like Chestnut more. But I'm, I'm with you. Like if it weren't for the legal embattlement of Haskins, he would make the team, right? Because he's so different. He is that he country mile best blocking running back in that group. Best guy for third down pass only situations. He's also easily the best special teamer in that group. One of the best on the team. So his skill set's really unique, but it feels like assuming these top four guys and Henry Spears, Warden Chestnut, don't give them a reason to not keep them on the roster. This may be a situation where, you know, we don't know for sure what the deal is with Haskins, but the easiest way for us to just cut ties is, you know, just say, you know what, Did, he wasn't good enough to make the cut. We'll just, this is an easy out for us as a team. We'll move on. Doesn't that sound about right to you? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. But obviously I think they are just going to give it due process. So, um, and when, and if it comes to that, I think they probably keep five and then obviously it's, it's, you move on to like the tight end position, I think is the next position you'd move to. Right. And the tight end position is interesting because you could keep five. One could argue that's too many in a Conquo, Wesco, Wiley, Mac and Raider. If you got to just keep four, the two on the block there are Mac and Raider. And there is a big difference between what I would do and what I think is the correct decision. And what my cynical brain thinks the Titans would do, knowing their MO. Obviously, what I think they should do and what the correct option is, is Alizé Mack has earned this job. He is a stud in training camp. Now, maybe it's a false flag. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not real. In training camp, there's a lot of, you see ghosts sometimes. The ghost of Mason Kinsey was a big deal 10 seconds ago in training camp. And we all know how that turned out, right? But I don't think that's the case with this guy. I think he can actually be a nice depth asset. On the other side of the coin, what the Titans tend to do and what my cynical brain thinks they will do is say, we are big man, caveman football. Ooga booga, give me Kevin Rader. I need blocking tight end. What do you expect them to do if they have to come down to picking one or the other? I, I think in the wild card and all of all of this um, caveman talk here is <laughs> is something that the Titans tight end coach kind of talked to today about Josh Wiley and how they think he's in a talented receiver, but they're starting to work a lot more on his blocking. Ah, and, cool. and if, if you have Trayvon Wesco, who you clearly brought in to replace Jeff Swain, you're working on Josh Wiley to be a dual threat. It feels like you have, okay, if we're working on Josh Wiley being a dual threat that can also be a plus blocker, it feels like those are our two guys who are, blocker first but can also receive and then you have two guys in chig and alize mac to be our tight ends who are going to be dynamic and able to make plays up the field and i think that's where i would go personally now of course you are totally right that (laughs) it is it is the way this team works through the run game it wouldn't shock you one bit would it it would not shock me if they kept four and it was chig wesco uh wiley and raider Right. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed would be the the circumstances there. So last question on this topic before we move out of here. If I told you they have to get and they they could keep 16 tight ends, running backs and receivers and keep all of these guys. They could. But if I told you they got to keep 14 of them and we're going to go ahead. What I think we kind of agreed. Let's let's keep Hassan Haskins out. We think he's not making the team. 
there's four running backs. Okay. You got to get 10 receivers and tight ends, whether that's six receivers and four tight ends or five and five. Who's, who's the guy you're, you're cutting? Is it, is it uh Kevin Rader? Is it Alize Mack? Or is it, um, uh, uh, why am Reggie, I Roberson. Reggie Roberson. Thank you. Um, thinking with my head, not the narrative. It's Alize Mack. I think. Um, if you're trying to, if you're saying you're trying to predict the list, that's yes, your prediction. If, yeah. If I'm predicting it, I think it's Ali Zamak. Me too. What would you do if you, you uh, were the GM? Like, like I said, I think yeah, audio is Kevin Raider. Yeah. The, I think the, the, the tight end coach, um, his name is escaping my mind right now. Tony Dews. Uh, Tony Dews. But w- talking kind of about the versatility they're trying to bring with Wiley, I think there's no reason to keep three blocking tight ends on a roster in general. Like Agreed. <laughs> in <Agreed>. any football <laughs> club, but if it there is, is a football team in the NFL, if, let's if there's not a football that team anymore. that will keep three basically glorified linemen, it's the Titans. Well, and you have to consider of those three guys, you got to put one, you know, Roberson, Mac Raider, you got to put one on the practice squad and cross your fingers. They're still available. If you need them later, it's gotta be Raider, right? He's the one least likely to get picked up. Don't you think? I mean, you, you never know. There's a guy out there named Monty Ossonfort who just loves signing son of old, a, old, uh, Titans right. like Arthur Dennis Smith Bailey. still exists. He's and, still around. Uh, that gummit. Uh, Jeff Swain. So, you know, like anything can happen. <laughs> anything can happen. All right. A couple odds and ends from today's practice before we get to the news with producer JT kicking battle update. It was a perfect day for Caleb Shudak out there. He hit from 33 twice and then 40, 42, 46, 48, and a 52 yard kick that I'm not going to lie. I dropped my jaw on that one. Cause that John was good from 62. I mean, this thing, he put it through the uprights. And if you were just looking at the field goal posts and where the ball crossed you'd have been like what was that from like you know 41 no my friend that was from 52 um i don't he i don't know how he got a hold of that ball but he got a hold of that ball and it was a very impressive one so another perfect day for shudak all i'll say on the kicking battle and i'll continue to say as long as both of these guys continue to miss zero or one kicks per day in camp it's ultimately going to come down to those two going back and forth in the preseason games who can do it in a game situation with a live bullet being thrown at them. And then if that's still a tie, I think GTU and I agree. I think, I think tie goes to the runner here and the runner is the big guy. And the big guy is our boy, Trey Wolf Wolfpack stand up. Like I think that they will defer to him if it's a true tie and it will not be fair to Caleb Shudak. It will I like, it will not be fair because I, I think there's a very real circumstance where they are. He does everything in his power to win this job and he is perfect and it does not matter. They just defer to the extra power of Trey Wolf. And uh, that's kind of where I see this maybe potentially ending up. Is that kind of what you're feeling? I mean, yeah, but with all this kind of talk about the the philosophicals of the Tennessee Titans and how mm. they run their team, <laughs> I, it feels like maybe with the intention of frustrating fans. Yes. Yeah. And it feels like since Caleb has maybe been, around here a little longer and kind of has, already card maybe i mean which yeah like, no i mean takes like they take they like guys in practice and during training camp they like guys who get the culture and i mean caleb Mason kinsey hive stand up literally like yeah it's like caleb shudak has been there for a year and if it is a tie like just thinking from a titans front office perspective I don't see why they wouldn't keep 
Shudak in that situation. Now, and like I, I still am like Trey Wolf because I just think the Wolf Pack is like a fun name and that could be really cool this season. <laughs> and like I think I, you are right. He has the more power. He is bigger like, and stronger. It's just. But like that. I yeah. mean, Shudak's been here, so it's true. Um, and that's going to be it for, uh, the, the notes of mine from training camp. So let's get to some Titans news with producer JT and then we'll get on out of here. Yeah. So one of the big things that occurred uh, a little bit late last night, um, the Titans agreed to terms with center Jimmy Murray. Um, and in doing this, they have waived receiver Jacob Copeland, two things on this real quick. One, um, going and trying to look up stats on Jimmy Murray. There are none. He has never played. He has never played a offensive snap in the NFL, which kind of blows my mind considering that I thought Jacob Copeland had a little bit of upside. Um, but so clearly did we both did. Yeah. Um, but clearly they will take the depth, even if that depth has never proven itself at the NFL level. Um, Cause obviously they believe that guys like Re- Reggie Roberson and Racy McMath and Colton Dow um, have something better to prove here at camp. Well, this surprised us both last night when we saw it, because even before he was drafted by the Titans, we were talking about Copeland as like, maybe he's a draftable player. Like, I don't hate his game as just a receiving prospect in this draft. JT, I'm pretty much certain at this point that this was not at all a reflection on Jimmy Murray, the center. No disrespect to Jimmy, but like who, like, you know what? This is a reflection of just how disposable they felt Jacob Copeland is. Because we asked today, uh, Mike Vrabel, friend of the show, Nick Suss, asked what it was about Jimmy Murray that made them want to bring him in. And Vrabel basically said, we've got three quarterbacks right now. We would like three different line units with three different centers. And so essentially just said we needed a body. And we went with the, you know, so without saying it, he essentially said we needed a body and we had to get rid of a body. And so we found the the most dispensable guy on the roster. And sounds like the most dispensable guy on the roster was Jacob Copeland. So clearly he had not making the impression that we thought he would make in that room. And uh, I guess it had to be either him or Kiaris Jackson to pop. And it's been Jackson so far for sure. Yeah. Moving on here, having to do with the uh, AFC rival, AFC South rival Houston Texans, their center, Scott Questenberry had torn his ACL and MCL earlier today. Um, A league source confirmed. So he is out for the season, which means uh, a guy that we talked about in the past, uh, Juice Scruggs out of Penn State, will now uh, kind of be in the limelight here to to step up. Yeah, rookie Juice Scruggs, member of the all-name team, a guy that we really liked as a prospect coming out in this year's draft, was already battling, uh, from what I understand, in Texans camp for that starter job, and I think he was the one kind of leading that battle. Like He was ultimately on track to earn that job, but whether he is ready or not now, he's going to be thrust into that starting center position, you'd imagine, for the Texans. So somewhat significant news for an AFC South rival. Moving on, former Titans safety Joshua Kalu worked out for the Steelers this morning. The two sides did not immediately reach a deal per league sources, but uh, just another notable name with another team. Um, a guy that if yeah. he doesn't work out for the Steelers would not be a horrible reunion candidate for the Titans because we know that the safety position here little on the thin side. I know our, our buddy Justin Mello has written multiple times. Hey, Josh Kalu's still out there. Maybe go get Josh Kalu just as like a body because if you run out of the three guys you have, you are really up Shit's Creek. Yeah, t- two other things before we get out of here. The Colts had tried out a number of running backs yesterday, including Kenyon Drake, That's crazy. Benny Snell, and Divine Ozigbo. Um, mm. two, 
two or three guys there that I mean two guys you know and one you don't <laughs> it doesn't move the needle but clearly <laughs> yeah. they are desperate um for some help and then one final running back note well, here. and so, by the way I saw a report an additional report just a moment before we hopped on the show that a number of Colts executives have gone behind the scenes off the record and talked about how they are very much open to the idea of trading uh Jonathan Taylor now, we've talked about how we don't think there's a trade that exists out there unless they're willing to take very, very little. But maybe they're willing to take very, very little. So then to keep an eye on. Yeah. And then finally, uh, it was reported earlier this week that Sony Michelle has retired. Um, but but with him retiring, of course, um, he had an interesting up and down career with a number of teams. But you had a little uh, tidbit here that you wanted to share. Yes. Yeah. I texted you and said, I need you to, to report on Sony Michelle retiring, not because it's super relevant or super new. But I found this on, at NFL underscore memes on Twitter. So super reliable source. But it's true. I fact checked this. Stetson Bennett, uh, who who was for a brief period of time, Sony Michelle's Rams teammate, was previously his teammate when they were on the same team together at Georgia. Sony Michelle, of course, retired this week. So that means that Sony Michelle was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, played for four different NFL teams won two Super Bowl rings, and then retired, all while Stetson Bennett was still in college. So shout out to our fifth year, sixth year, seventh year king, super senior himself, Stetson Bennett, for being the eternal 30-year-old college man who finally has graduated to the NFL. Shout out to him. Yeah, for sure. And that's going to do it for our news today. All right, that's producer JT with the news. And that is it for our show today. Thank you to everyone. For tuning in. Thank you to producer G, J, uh, G, JT for not killing me, for going way over his prescribed hard out. I expected him to just dip out uh, randomly at any moment, and he didn't. He stuck with it. That shows his dedication to the show. Uh, I won't I won't make it too long here at the end. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us. Follow us on all socials at Hot Read Pod on Twitter and Instagram and uh, TikTok. We are partnered with, now with Zen Sportsbook, so if you want to get into the newest sports betting platform in the state of Tennessee, you Browns use plus code, one and a half tonight. Browns plus one and a half tonight, baby, on Zen Sportsbook. Use code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D when you sign up. That's the referral code you got to use, HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D. With Zen Sportsbook, you get 5% welcome bonus cash back in your pocket for the first 15 days, and then 3% cash back bonus in your pocket, win or lose, 3% on all of your betting volume forever. That's an awesome deal, and you can only get it if you use code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D, when you sign up with Zen Sportsbook. That's going to be it from us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back with another week of training camp coverage and maybe some guests to come along. I know our buddy Nick Suss uh, talked to me today about potentially coming on the show next week, and we love talking to him, so maybe he'll stop by. We'll be back with a three-show week again, starting first thing Monday morning. Until then, for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week.